All over the world, girls face challenges and outcomes far worse than boys, a fact borne out by research on different continents and in different societies. But today's guest says that the challenges facing girls shouldn't overwhelm us, they should inspire us. She's Dale Hanson Burke, this week on Story in the Public Square. Welcome to a Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. And I'm G. Wayne Miller, also with Salve's Pell Center. Our guest this week is Dale Hansen Burke, a business owner, foundation president, and author whose new book is Strong Girls, Strong World. Dale, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, congratulations on Strong Girls, Strong World. I learned a lot reading it about the challenges facing uh, girls literally around the world. What inspired you to write it? Well, I'm a relatively new grandmother. So uh, when my granddaughter Evie was born, I of course imagined her to have all kinds of wonderful things happening in her future. She was of course the most brilliant, beautiful, incredible little girl. But I had also traveled around the world and met all kinds of little girls who would never have the potential to do the things that she did uh, or would be able to do because of their uh, place where they were born and just the circumstances of their birth. So I was really struck by the fact that um, we could have all these hopes and dreams for Evie, but other little girls probably would fall short because of the circumstances in which they were born. Well, in fact, you write, girls, and I'm quoting here, girls are at a disadvantage on almost every measure in almost every part of the world. You know, I was struck by that because there's a part of me that wants to believe that um, we're doing better. Why aren't we doing yeah. better? Well, we are doing better on some on some measures and in some parts of the world, uh, but there's still a, a very strong patriarchal system in a lot of uh, countries in the world. Uh, some of it's institutionalized. Some of it's uh, literally legal. Uh, there's there's laws against girls being able to to move forward. Uh, some of it's cultural, um, and so uh, you know it's it's a whole variety of things. And frankly, I was surprised by some of the things that I discovered when I started writing the book because I learned a lot about uh, where the disadvantages lie and also um, how we can remove those uh, obstacles and help girls soar. So, Dale, the the book serves as a call for action for readers, and it's mm -hmm. filled with many ways that people can take that kind of action. You have taken action in your life. Why is that important to you, part one? And part two, why should people answer that call who read the book? Sure. Well, I think we, we can easily get overwhelmed. We can hear about the challenges facing girls, facing you know all the issues of the world, and think, well, they're just too big for me, or it's something that someone else should take on. But there are also so many opportunities for girls that can be changed because we do take action. And so what I've tried to do in the book is give people every opportunity to even take one small step. Um, I, to me, um, the most important thing is to do something. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be a huge action, but do something. And as you start to do that, you'll start to realize that you can make a connection. 
Um, for me, for example, one time I was at a luncheon where we were packing backpacks for, you know, for children. And I, you know, I thought, well, this is a nice little activity. And we put a little note into each child. Well, a few years later, I was in Jordan and I saw Syrian refugee children with their little backpacks. That, and they were pulling out these notes that meant so much to them because somebody had actually cared. So there is a connection. It really does make a difference. And when I see things like that, I'm just humbled that uh, we can, in a very small way, make a huge difference. And, you know, I think that's a very important message. It's so easy to feel overwhelmed by all the challenges that face people living on the planet and, and the planet itself indeed. So uh, kudos for that. Um, in fact, you know, Dale, you when you and I talked about this too, uh, this was something that you really wanted to underscore is that we're going to talk about some pretty bleak uh, realities facing girls across the world uh, in this conversation. You did not want the audience to be overwhelmed by by the by the enormity of this. No, I, I don't. I mean, it, it certainly is um, daunting, uh, if you will, but. I would also say, if this was your daughter, you would want her to have every opportunity. All these little girls out there that have so much potential. And the fact is that there is a line that can be drawn between us and them. There are things we can do. Um, you know, even a, a, a well, digging a well, which I had never really considered to be that important, is such a huge thing. It can change the lives of girls in a little village where they're the ones who are having to gather the water. And because of that, they're not able to go to school. And yet, you know, maybe you can't personally pay for a well, but maybe you get your school together or your community together and you can build a well and they'll actually name a well after you. And uh, it's a very cool thing. I mean, you've changed the lives of, you know, dozens of girls in a village because you've built a well. So we're talking about girls here. Why not all children, including boys well and i i appreciate that question i'm the mother of two boys so i'm i'm very, um, <laughs> they'll appreciate it too but um you know it is true that girls have more obstacles uh in most cases and and that quote that you you uh quoted before was actually from the gates foundation from a study um in which they looked at girls all over the world and when you look at the indicators, they have less of a chance to go to school. They're less healthy. They have less advantages um, in many, many cases than boys. And so really, we're not talking about leaving boys out. We're trying to bring girls up to a level where they can be equal participants and also, you know, contribute to a community where boys and girls are more healthy. So why are girls so important to our collective future, collective meaning all of us? Sure. Well, girls um, have so much potential that it doesn't get used um, if they don't get educated, if they don't go to school, um, if they don't uh, stay healthy, if they marry early. Um, we lose all that potential. I mean, the World Bank even has statistics about how much money is lost in our economies because girls are not uh, participating fully in the economies of the world. So girls who, um, who don't get these chances, like my granddaughter will, um, are really, our, our entire communities and countries are losing out because of that. Yeah. Dale, I, you know, I, um, your book introduced me to some things that I was not familiar with, and one of those things was the phrase, missing girls. And so yes. in the context of this book and your work, what, what, who are these missing girls, 
And what yeah. does it say about the challenges that girls face globally? Yeah, I mean, this is something that happens even um, early on. So countries that have evolved uh, far enough to have prenatal testing, now if they still have a culture that is uh, really favors boys, uh, unfortunately, prenatal testing has ended up uh, in abortions of many, many girls. Now, we don't have statistics because people don't um, self, you know, they, they don't self-report that they've aborted a, a baby girl. But we have now population statistics that show we have an uneven population in a number of countries where obviously girls have been left out. They're, they're missing girls is what they call them. Um, and the population is far more male than female because uh, parents have chosen to abort baby girls. So Jim said we were going to get into the specific challenges, and so let's do that facing girls and, and women around the world. One of them is lack of sanitation and poor health. Yeah. That's actually two, two related issues. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, I, again, I didn't realize, and it's, you know, you, you think about it and you, it makes sense, but at the time, because of our, our culture, we don't think about it. But girls who um, who go to, into puberty and start menstruating, uh, many of the schools do not have facilities for them. They don't, don't have toilets. They don't have a private place for the girls. And so they'll stay home during their period. Then they start missing school, or they'll just drop out of school at that point. And it's a huge problem because that's the critical point. You want girls to stay in school. And in fact, um, they start dropping out of school at a very high rate. Um, so there have been a number of, of interventions that have tried to help either bring sanitation and bring hygiene uh, to girls, uh, especially in schools, and also to provide uh, products. Like there's something called the PAD Project that provides uh, menstrual products for girls. Um, something that, again, allows them to stay in school. It's just that's the, the end result is they get to stay in school and get an education, which is so important. What about health care? What are the inequities there around the world and, and indeed perhaps even in, in the United States? Yeah, there, there definitely are inequities. Um, and some of it is just you can look at the statistics and see that boys get immunized more often than girls. Um, they get taken to clinics more often than girls. Um, and a lot of times, uh, girls also are exposed to more uh, problems. For example, they are the ones who are cooking in the home with an open fire. They're the ones who then get um, have lung problems because of that. Um, they're the ones who are gathering the water, and um, it's, it's dangerous to, to gather water, to go to a watering hole where all their animals and, and everything else is, is um, gathering. So, I mean... There are a number of things that expose girls to more hazards, and then they often get less uh, care uh, during uh, their lifetime. Um, so that's it's it's a huge inequity. Yeah, Dale, you mentioned inoculations, and you've got a, a pretty decent uh, discussion of the potential for vaccines to help improve the health and the lives of girls around the world. And as I read that, though, I couldn't help but wonder what does America's vaccine hesitancy look like in other parts of the world, just based on your travels. Do you have a sense of that? I, um, it depends on where you are. Um, there certainly are certain um, religious sects that are very uh, concerned about vaccines. Uh, I know that in some very conservative uh, Muslim countries, they uh, don't, you know, they're not very favorable toward vaccines. Uh, in some countries, there are, um, 
you know, it, it's more of uh, superstition that starts and, and evolves and people start to have superstitions about vaccines that they're going to, you know, actually create the disease instead of uh, cure it or prevent it. So um, it, it varies all over the world, but um, yeah, there are certain, certain places where there are uh, vaccine hesitations. Another absolutely critical issue is education. Give us an overview, and I understand, I realize that it varies country by country and even region by region, but talk about the obstacles to education and the importance of education to girls. Yeah, sure. Well, we've made great strides. Again, I want to I want to add some hope here because we've made a lot <laughs> okay. of strides, especially in in um, primary schooling, uh, so that we've tried to ed you know educate more little girls as through their primary years, but. Girls are looked upon as a great resource for gathering water, for working in the home, for taking care of their younger siblings. And so they're often um, not allowed to go to school because they are needed in the home to do these things, whereas the boys are allowed to go to school or encouraged to go to school because they're seen as the one who's going to be the primary breadwinner. Um, it really starts to go down at secondary school. And some of that has to do with the hygiene issues we talked about, where Girls just don't have a good option for going to school. Um, they also have long walks to school. Uh, you know, schooling is not, I, one of the things I realized in the book is, you know, there isn't a school bus coming to pick up children in uh, some of these rural areas. Girls and, and boys have to walk long uh, ways to get to a school. And that, again, can be a hazard for girls. Girls can be assaulted, can, you know, can, can deal with all sorts of things along the way. Um, and that's why, again, one of the solutions is um, they're giving bicycles to girls to help them ride bikes to schools. It's a wonderful uh, opportunity to help girls actually get to school if they want to get to school um, and, and, and not have to walk miles and miles. What happens when we educate a girl? Oh, everything. All kinds of great things happen when we educate a girl. Um, first of all, she tends to not get married so early. And uh, early marriage is a is a problem for reasons we can discuss in a minute. But she tends to marry later. She tends to have fewer children. She tends to make sure her own children are educated and have um, good health and, and good hygiene. She contributes to her community in ways uh, that are significant. Um, the World Bank, again, measures some of the ways the output uh, happens from a girl who has been educated. And it's it's truly amazing that um, a girl then can contribute to her community and her entire country when she's educated. You know, Dale, you mentioned the issue of uh, early marriage and uh, in getting ready for this episode, you drew our attention to a short video uh, from the great people at World Vision. Uh, let's watch that together now and then we'll discuss it on the, on the back end. My name is Shamima. I am 10 years old. I want to recite a poem entitled, I want to marry. I want to marry, but I didn't say I am in a hurry. I want to wear a pretty dress, that dress called uniform. I want to live in that neighborhood, that place called childhood, where I will dream of the pink unicorn. Before by natural order, I move into adulthood. I want to marry, but I don't want to be the youngest bride in town before I might wear a matriculation gown. I want to wear a wedding gown with a 
Halo and Diamond Crown. But could this be after I won my graduation gown? I want to don my maternity gown, smiling down at my beautiful innocent son. But I don't want to shoot my ambition down in fulfillment of our society's backwards plan. Someday, I want to marry. But most definitely, I'm not in hurry. Thank you. So, someday I hope to marry, but most definitely I am not in a hurry. Would you tell us more about the young woman we saw, the young girl we saw in that, in that video, and the issue that she's raising for us? Right. Well, little Shamima is only 10 years old, and she is, um, I think we'd all agree, the most extraordinary little girl. I mean, you look at her and think, you know, this girl could run a country. I mean, yeah. she has so much potential. And yet at 10 years of age, her biggest fear is that she's going to have to get married soon and um, that she won't be able to finish her education, that she will have to have children early and she will not be able to continue on the trajectory that she is on right now. And to me, Shamima is such a great example of you look at this little girl and you think, oh, we should we should empower her. We should give her every chance. She's going to change the world. And yet, how tragic that at 10 years of age, um, this is her concern, that she's going to have to get married soon. We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard multiple times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at J.M. Lutis. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist and the author of 20 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Dale Hansen Burke. You might be familiar with her previous books or her syndicated columns, but she's also a successful business owner and former foundation president whose new book is Strong Girls, Strong World. You can follow Dale on Twitter at Dale H. Burke, B-O-U-R-K-E. You devote, uh, or you dedicate another chapter to protecting vulnerable girls, and you wrote that, quote, it was probably the most difficult chapter to write. Yeah. Why? Well, it is um, sort of the dark underbelly of what happens in the world. Girls who fall through the cracks, who uh, don't have somebody caring for them, who don't some have someone taking care of them, fall into uh, trafficking and to um, all t types of um, really difficult circumstances. So um, I wrote about that because, first of all, we have a huge refugee crisis right now in the world. We have um, unaccompanied children who have, have they're been separated from their parents, and girls especially are super vulnerable when that happens. We have a lot of street children, um, and girls who live on the street are very vulnerable to either uh, being assaulted or being trafficked. Um, and we just have a lot of broken systems that don't look out for these vulnerable little girls. Um, so we really need to, to make sure that we um, we look out for girls because when they fall through the cracks, 
really terrible things happen to them. So this is an issue in this country also. And, and I guess this yes. is kind of a larger question. Is there political action that can or could be taken uh, in this country, because we're in this country, to change the trajectory that, that you're describing here? Sure. I mean, if you're talking about this country, um, one of the issues, I think, is we have a foster care system that is, is broken, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of attention is being brought to that now because I think it's so broken that children, especially girls, will fall out of the foster care system and onto the streets because they really don't have a good option. Um, and that happens in other countries, too. There is There are foster programs in other countries. Unfortunately, they often are abused and um, people who become foster parents. I mean, there are some wonderful foster parents, uh, but there are some who are not uh, as trustworthy. And we need better systems for caring for children who somehow, um, you know, lose their parental uh, uh, controls and, and parents who care for them. And it happens especially in this country because of the drug issues that we're facing. We've got so many uh, parents who, I mean, I one of the new terms that I learned um, it, it was that um, children are, are li literally unwanted. They're just, they're left uh, behind by their parents because they can't, they can't take care of them. And it's, it's heartbreaking. There's a long history of this in this country. I've written about it uh, many times, actually. Is there the political will to change that? And again, I understand it, this will vary by state and by region, but mm -hmm. is there any consensus or growing consensus that we have to fix this? Because, you know, young girls who, who are in that position and also young boys, the, the outcomes are, are almost inevitably bad. Because yes, you're, you're, yes. you're dealing with kids um, at a very young age, if, and that's when brains are forming and, and, and so forth. Right. Well, I think one of the most important things about the foster care system is that ex, uh, former foster children have come together and formed a group that is looking, is really pushing for change in the foster system, which I think is wonderful because they've experienced it, and they know how broken it is, and they're asking for help. So I think that's, uh, that's very, um, very much a, a positive thing. But I, I also would say to individuals, um, if you can even become a short-term foster parent, uh, you know, that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. It's just to help a child who's in crisis. If you can even do it short-term, a few days for a week, whatever, um, that's that's one of the ways that you can really make a difference in the life of a child. You know, uh, Dale, you do a remarkable job of highlighting in the book some of the just, you know, angels on earth who are in the nonprofit communities and the non-governmental organizations and the, and the charities that are working throughout the world to help uh, raise up girls. Um, and, and anybody who reads the book is going to get lots of ideas of how they can support them. But I'm curious, you know, I, I, I'm, we're taping this a couple days after the anniversary of 9-11. And I spent the decade after that working in the national security community uh, thinking about those issues. And one of the big takeaways from the Arab Development Report in the about 2005-2006 period was that in places where women were excluded from society, bad things happen. And that was, that was pretty much the takeaway. I'm wondering, on the level of international policy, government policy, are governments doing enough to protect girls and to protect women uh, so that they're contributing members of society on a global scale? Well, 
No. <laughs> I mean, the answer is no. <laughs> Keep that but, up. <laughs> um, but the change is, you know, but I, I am hopeful that there's change. I mean, uh, we have pockets of change. I mean, we can look at Rwanda as an example, where we now have more women than men in uh, in the legislature. I mean, we, we are seeing women rise uh, in power in many countries um, and being welcomed, even in some very... Um, male-dominated countries. Women are, are rising in power. We have more women leaders than ever before who are seeing these issues. Uh, we watched, we see in Liberia how a woman leader really turned that country around. So I, I do believe there is hope. Um, and I also think that um, we're, we're using the power of, um, of the U.S. policy to promote girls in education. For example, we've, we've uh, introduced legislation that says uh, that our USAID money and other dollars that we spend overseas should be attached to showing some progress with girls, which I think is a very hopeful thing that we can, um, you know, if we're going to be investing in countries, then we should ask for outcomes that help uh, bring girls uh, to the same level as boys. One of the solutions that you highlight is microfinance. Can you tell us what that is and, and how that applies, how that would help uh, girls and women? Yeah, microfinance is really a remarkable um, program that happens. It can happen anywhere all over the world. And it's really a sm making small loans, mostly to women. Uh, they've uh, Almost every microfinance institution or NGO that has used this has found that women are the best, uh, the best bet for making a, a, um, a loan to them. <clears throat> so they, you make a loan to a, a woman for a certain period of time, and she uses it to you know, create some sort of small business. Maybe she sells vegetables from a small stand, or she, uh, does a, she buys a sewing machine and starts a sewing project. And she repays that loan with interest, with a small amount of interest. And then she's able to get another loan. And sometimes women come together in what they call trust groups then, and they sort of cross-collateralize their loans so that if one woman becomes sick, the other women will jump in and help her. But what it does is actually grow economies from the ground up. And it's it's a truly remarkable um, institution in the sense that it's it's making a difference in the economies of countries, even though it starts out with loans as little as 10 or $20. Um, but these loans then grow. I've watched, I've seen women in countries, I've, I've seen it in Uganda, for example, where a woman is is given a calf, and I've seen her grow that into a whole herd of cattle within a few years, or a woman is given a sewing machine, or she buys a sewing machine with her loan, and then she ends up employing a dozen other women, and they have a whole sewing uh, collective that's going on, and they're all supporting their families. And one of the first things that women do when they get income is they make sure their children get education. So sometimes it means that they can now afford the uniform that a girl needs to be able to go to school, or they can pay the small school fees so she can go to school. But, um, but women almost always turn around and take that money and invest it in their children, which is um, how we break the back of poverty, really. That's how we change, uh, break the cycle of poverty. That is a great place for us to leave this conversation. Dale Hansen-Burke, the book is Strong Girls, Strong World. Thank you so much for being with us today. And that is all the time we have this week. But if you want to know more about storing the public square, you can find us on social media or visit PellCenter.org where you can always catch up on previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis, asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square. <laughs>